If you're ready, open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Thank you for those discussions. They'll be coming every week. Welcome to Metro Praise. We're doing a sermon series on worldview, and I want you guys to start asking questions not only to each other here at church, but to each other on the job, with your family, with your friends. You heard somebody on there, nice guy, talk about his worldview. Most people think the way he thinks, and you know what that's called? That's called situational ethics. So his worldview, the way he sees the world is, the situation that I found myself in has taught me how to be. Evolution has given me a mom that has socially advanced to protect the family, and now my mom, as a part of this culture, knows the rules, and she tells me what to do. That's the worldview he has on. If you don't know what a worldview is, it's the way we see the world. It's like glasses. Everybody has them. The only problem is not all of our worldviews are right. And most of us never take time to examine our worldview. We just get so used to having them on, we never take them off and say, are these really working? Imagine if my glasses had a pink tint to them so that everywhere I went, everybody was pink. You are no longer Latino, you are a pinkino, you know? You are no longer African-American, you were a pink American, right? Uh, The gringo, you're pink. Everybody's pink, okay? Now, imagine me telling you, you're pink, and you're literally looking at me. You're going, no, I'm not. I'm not pink. There's nothing about me that's pink. Now, let me ask you a question. Would I be lying to you? No, I would be telling you the way I see the world. But here's the problem. That's my relative truth. That's relative to me. It's not absolute. It's not absolutely true. That young man had a relative truth that he got in the situation he was in. But guess what? What if he was raised in the Inca Empire where children were sacrificed to the gods during the festivals? His mom would have told him, wow, this is a good thing, child. Watch them get sacrificed. Imagine if he was around during the time of the Egyptians and his mom would have told him in that situation, hey, you see the Pharaoh? That's God. That's our God right there. And if you don't worship him, little boy, you're going to die. See, moms don't make things right. God makes things right. Now, you might think to yourself, Pastor, that, that's just too easy. You just threw God in there. I saw what you did. You can't sneak him by me. I see what you did. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. If God does not determine what is right, what is wrong, who does? Who does? You might say, well, it's not my mom, but it's a culture. Oh, so the Germans were right then because a culture agreed. We should have left them alone. That was their culture. You ever hear anybody say, it's just my culture? Come on, has anybody ever heard that? That's just my culture. You just cussed me out pretty good. That's just my culture, right? I I just got beat up by you. That's my culture. That's how we do it, right? Uh, Germany, that's just their culture. They just call certain people rats. They put them in the gas chambers. And if you don't like what they do in the culture, you're going to go there too. So where does it come from if it doesn't come from God? If it doesn't come from moms, if it doesn't come from cultures, where does it come from? I want to tell you today that the only answer is God. Somebody shouted the devil. The devil can't have all the power because if you believe in the God, if you believe in the God who created the devil, he's more powerful than the devil. So the only power that settles the issue is God. 
Now, if you don't believe in God, we love you and we welcome you here. But understand this, you have no basis of morality. That's what that video showed us. You like the golden rule, but you like it only because it works for you now. I like going to Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras, not because of the filth, which actually I hate, but I like going there and taking snapshots with my mind going, yeah, this is what humanity's like when you just lift the rules a little bit. You widen the cage a little bit. Some of you have heard of the movie Purge Night and different things. You know what I'm talking about. All we would have to do in this culture is just say murder is legal one day, and you would see how much your neighbor really hates you. All we have to do on Bourbon Street is just say it's okay to go topless, guys to heckle at ladies, and every now and then fights to bust out. All we got to do is just change the rules a little bit, and things go to hell fast. Why do I like the golden rule? Because the golden rule doesn't come from a culture. And so it doesn't matter if Germany likes it or Afghanistan likes it or America likes it. I'm going to keep it no matter what because it comes from God. And I like the golden rule because Jesus taught it and Jesus is the son of God. See, what I just did for you with that wonderful video, now you notice I wasn't rude to him. I wasn't mean. Did everybody notice I treated him nice? But what I just showed you is that his worldview lost. How many want to be winners in life? Does anybody want to be a loser? Do you want to lose in life? No, you don't. You want to win in life, right? Everybody here wants to win in life. Can I teach you how to win the war of worldviews? Because you're in a war of worldviews right now. They're clashing. They're clashing right now. And I can tell you it's all around you because they wear their glasses to their job of worldview. They come to the politics with their worldview. I'm telling you, you can't take yours off for a minute because somebody else will give you theirs. I like what one person said. You better know what you believe before somebody tells you what they believe, and then that becomes what you believe. Now, learning is good. We should all learn, but we should go to God's word. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. We're in a war of worldviews. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is talking here. Verse 3, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The Christians do not fight the war of worldviews with weapons. Let me ask you a question. Did the Aztecs fight with weapons or debate when they went through Central and South America? They conquered, didn't they? They didn't come to like the other Latino villages and be like, hey guys, want to see, uh, want a uh, fiesta, want a party? Let me ask you something. When Alexander the Great went through Europe, did he go, hey, let's have a debate about this? Is that what he did? Or you know what? I was studying the Zulu Nation. You might not have heard about them. They were an African tribe that had a leader during the same time we were having the Civil War to free the slaves in America. He was taking over the part of South America. This is the kind of dictator he was in the Zulu Nation. He killed more of his own people than the enemy killed his own people. That's how crazy of a dictator he was. Let me ask you, when the Zulu Nation went around South Africa, did they go to the other tribes and say, hey, bring out your best debater. We're going to debate worldviews today. Is that what he did? No. Is that what Russia did? Is that what the Roman Catholic Church did? Said, hey, guys, let's just have a debate. No, they burned us at the stake. And I say us because I protest the Roman Catholic Church. They burned just as many Protestants as they did witches and Jews and, and heretics. Are you listening? The Bible says we live in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. So I was preaching on Madison and Pulaski. I saw some gangbangers. And then I said, hey, take that. 
Is that what I did? No, I didn't wage a war the way they wage war. I used the word of God. Because here's the deal. Get this. If you kill somebody with the sword, then that means the lie has not been defeated. Someone else can come and take their spot. I don't just want to kill. That's not what I want at all. I want to destroy the demonic powers that keep putting that in people's minds. How many know you would have to be a pretty, pretty unique kind of stupid to believe that the earth is flat now? How many just pretty much have settled that the earth is round? And if you ever see flat earthers on, on Facebook, you just have a prayer request go out for them. Stupid is as stupid does. Lord, just forgive them. Be with those folks today. I'm being honest. I met some down south. A lot of them down there in Texas. I met some. I'm just being honest. Lord, help them. Nothing against the southern folks. I used to live there. But, you know, some, you just got to be a certain kind of stupid to believe the earth is flat. Why is that? Is it because we killed all the flat earthers? Did we just go around just killing everybody? No. Over time, the truth, the science knocked out that worldview that the earth is flat. So let me ask you a question. How should we win the war of evolution versus creation? Should we kill off all the evolutionists or keep doing better science, having better explanations? How should we win the war of gangs? Kill them all off or go out there and win them to the Lord and show them a cause in Christ worth dying for and living for? How should we win the worldview over lesbianism and gay and all of that? Should we go out there and chain them up and make them get a lobotomies or electric shock? Or should we go out to Belmont and Clark and teach the truth? How are we going to win the worldview of racism? Kill every racist or teach them that we come from one race, the human race? See, we live in the world, but we don't fight like the world. Look at verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Do you all have weapons in Christianity? Yes. But are they guns? Are they knives? No, but you do have weapons because you're in a war. What are our weapons? Our weapons are the truth. When the Bible says when you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. So even though I'm not that great at science, should I ever be afraid to debate on my job a flat earther? No, because I can explain it. If I don't do it the right way, give me enough time. I'll get some more articles. I know the truth is on my side. Should I ever be intimidated by a transgender on my job when I believe that God makes two genders, male and female? Should I ever be intimidated by that debate? I may not know as much as them. I may not be as smart as them. But if I have the truth, the truth will set them free. Is anybody here intimidated by a lie? Is anybody here intimidated by a falsehood? No. Should I be intimidated to get into an argument with a racist? And I just met one the other day. I actually showed him, Sister Soldier, our 201 book, and I was giving it to him, and it's the, other, uh, the old one with the African-American Jesus behind him. He said, what are you doing with that in on that book? I said, I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm preaching to you that you're going to hell as a racist. Aren't you happy your white pastor preaches against racism? But let me ask you a question. Am I ever intimidated by racism? No. I'm never intimidated. All I have to do is show them we're one race, the human race. But guess what, Mr. Scientist? If you believe in evolution, you believe in racism. Google human zoos. There is a such thing as human zoos. Do you know that when Darwinism was really popular, that they wanted to find missing links? Guess who they put into the New York Zoo? An aborigine. They said, here you go. If we came from ape-like ancestors, which one among us looks the most like an ape? Oh, that one. You see, evolution actually teaches racism as a part of its belief system. See, I'm not intimidated, am I? Are you intimidated? I said, are you intimidated? We have weapons, 
And our weapons are not the weapons of the world, but watch, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish what? Strongholds. Hey, can I give you guys an update if you don't know? The world hates us. In China right now, we're illegal. The dictator's been voted in for life. The first thing he's going after is what? Christians. Right now in, in Islamic countries, from Dubai, from, which is a populated place like the United Arab Emirates, from Dubai, these real rich countries, all the way to Afghanistan, Syria, Mecca, the home of their country, it's illegal to do what I'm doing right now. You have to get special permission, then they only let you do it with foreigners. And the deeper you get into Islamic law, to places like Iran, to places like Syria, it is not only illegal, it is punishable unto death. Why are the nations so afraid of us? Because they know we demolish them. Did you hear what I said? They know we demolish them. Why do you think right now the universities are afraid of me? They won't let me come speak. They'll fight against me debating one of their professors. I met a snowflake professor on a campus. He got all upset with me. He wanted to shake his, his bony white finger in my face and tell me to leave. It was the most odd situation I've ever been in. I am preaching to a Latino gentleman that is quite urban, right? And he's a college age student. But this white skinny professor said, stop picking on him. I said, what world are you in right now? I'm picking on the young, strong Latino man because I'm preaching to him for Jesus. And you, the white, skinny guy, are telling me you need to defend this dude? This dude could probably beat both of us up right now if he wanted to. And second of all, I looked right at him. I said, you're a coward. Because I said, you won't let me talk on this campus. You have to try to shout me down. And I said, my grandparents fought in World War II, Jack, so I could have freedom of speech. I'm going to be here every week, and I'll debate you in your classroom. But they're cowards. They won't let us have equal time and equal place. That's why I go out to Wicker Park on my dollar with our microphone, with our people, and I try to get them to stop, and a hundred pass us by before I can get one. And as they go by with all their sass, I say, that's what I want is your sassy self. Come back here. Get on the camera. And then I tell them, y'all think we ain't open-minded? Looks like you pretty close-minded away, walking away right now. Why is it it's illegal in China to be a Christian? Why is it illegal in Islamic countries to be a Christian? What are they so afraid of? I'm not afraid of a Muslim having freedom of speech. Think what you want about America, but we gave you freedom of speech. You can be a Chinese communist in this country. You can be an Islamist who believes in Sharia law in this country. And I'll pay you $50 to stand on this stage to demolish your stronghold. Equal time, and I'll let you be the moderator, brother. The problem is the war of worldviews uses intimidation. They use their weapons to silence Christians. And so we must fight back with the word of God in love. Amen? For we are soft on arguments. Is that what it says? No, for we what? Demolish arguments. Everybody get this. I love Muslims, but I hate Islam. I love Hindus. Got them all in my neighborhood. I have Muslims in my neighborhood as well. Love Hindus. Been to India three times. Love the food. Love the diet. Hate Hinduism. I love atheists. Some of my good friends are atheists. You'll see them on my Facebook post. Just visit my Facebook post. You'll see some of my old friends. I like to call them out too. One time I put up a testimony about God sending me free from drugs and alcohol and he got all sassy with me. And I said, God set me free. When was the last time you got drunk and got high? I just pulled him out because now he looks cool with his wife and kids. You know, he doesn't want to pretend like he gets drunk and high. Tell me, Jack, when was the last time you did it because I've been free 20 years. Last time I left you, you were smoking weed, getting high, getting drunk and all that. So here's the deal. I'm not afraid to put out my worldview. 
Are you afraid to put out your worldview? No. But here's the thing. We don't do it in anger. We do it in love. I love Muslims. I hate Islam. I love my children, but I hate their attitude. Can anybody relate? I love my wife, but no, I ain't going to say it. <laughs> Where's she at? No, I'm kidding. But there's a time of the month that comes around, and I better be hiding. <laughs> I love my wife. Let's just end it at that. How many love, how many love the truth but hate error? The Bible says love what is good and hate what is evil. So you know what people like to do? They like to put me in a box, and they like to make me look like a flat earther in a sense. You know, you hear what that pastor said? He said everybody's going to hell, and, and he put all these people down there. I can't believe you go to that church. And no, I didn't say any of that. You know what that's called? That's called a straw man. They can't take on my argument. They can't take me on, so they build a poster of me, and then they build it up and say, see, I beat up Joe. They build up an argument that I'm not making, and they tear it down. I didn't say I didn't love Muslims. I love Muslims. I preach to them all the time. I wrote a book on Islam. I love atheists. Most of the people I'm talking to in Wicker Park atheists love them. We bring out candy for them just to tell them how much we're thankful they make time to do this video. But they'll all walk by with their noses up in the air acting like they're better than us. And then we get them on camera. And this guy was a nice guy. And then they get, we get them on camera and they tell me the foundation of their ethics is what their mama taught them. And you paid $70,000 to go where? Where did you get your degree from? And it comes down to what your mama taught you? Come on, people. The world thinks they're smart, but they become fools. We demolish their arguments. Demolish them. We show them the truth of it. Now, some people say that's so mean. Listen, you won't give up something until you see it demolished. I, I love watching Biggest Loser. It used to be a popular show. Does anybody remember the show Biggest Loser? My favorite part is when they would take the contestants who were morbidly obese, and they brought them to the doctor. And they showed them the skeleton and how much fat they had on their body. And then they say, listen, you have the body of an 80-year-old, the heart of an 80-year-old. Your muscles, everything is falling apart. You see, at that point, they had to realize that cheeseburger ain't their friend no more. It's not until you see something demolished in front of you that you recognize the truth. Some of us are so blinded by our pink glasses that you need them broke in front of you, demolished for you to say, hey, I'm going to see the world the way it really is. So I love you enough to tell you the truth. Now, it ain't just good enough for me. It's got to be good enough for you. You're going to go on your job and do this? Now, be as wise as a serpent, as harmless as a dove. I'm not saying get in religious arguments every time you, somebody brings up something, but why not? Bring up the truth when they bring up their opinion. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So is this just for non-Christians? No, it's for us too. I got to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Can I give you an example of worldview? I'm just going to be real. Somebody say, keep it real. Man, I've been married 13 years, and... She don't look like she did when she was 24, but there's this girl at my gym. Man, she looks hot. I believe in a God who forgives. So you know what? I'm going to divorce my wife, ask God for forgiveness, and then I'm going to date this young 20-year-old. Y'all got a problem with it? Why? Why? God forgave me. God loves me. Who are you to judge? You see how slippery a Christian's worldview can change if they're not careful? 
You said all the right things, God. Yeah, he can forgive you. Yeah, God loves you. You said all the right things. You did that. But did you really do what God commands in his word? No, what you did was you twisted scripture. Who was the first one to twist scripture on us and put thoughts in our mind that set them up against the knowledge of God? This is where you're supposed to say what you said before. Satan. You see, we had everything. We had a perfect world, baby. There was no hurricanes. There was no natural disasters. We had perfect bodies. Thank you, Jesus. There was no acne. There was no need for glasses. Everybody had six packs, okay? And we had a perfect relationship with God. You didn't even have to use faith. You could look right at him and talk to him because you know you were made in his image. But the devil, who had already made his decision in heaven to believe something else, gets cast out. He wanted to be God. And what does he say to us? You can become God too. We never stop to ask him about his worldview. Hey, where'd you come from anyways? Why are you asking me to be God? Are you God? If it was that easy to be God, have you done it yet? See, we didn't examine his worldview. And the problem that I see with a lot of so-called Christians today that are being tempted with all of these things, evolution, new sexual freedom, and, you know, new identity and all of that, all I see from them is making trades, and they don't know who they're trading with. We never ask the devil, hey, if it's so easy to be God by eating this, have you ate it and you're God? But we took it, didn't we? Because why? Having a perfect body and a perfect world with a perfect relationship, we still weren't happy because we wanted one other thing. We wanted to be God himself. There's the root of every worldview. Every worldview has one thing in common when it's not Christian worldview is it's I get to decide what's right and wrong. I get to be my own God. So no, we didn't become God, the creator of the universe. That is true. We didn't become like superheroes or anything. We actually did not become God. We became fallen, evil humans. But one thing was true that Satan had wrapped in that lie is that that fruit now gave us the ability to know good from evil. So what are you doing with those evil thoughts you get in your mind? Are you taking them captive and making them obedient to Christ? Or do you let them take you captive? Think about it. Put that on Facebook. Either you're making temptation captive or temptation is making you captive. Is your temptation your slave that you command it what to do? No, no thought. I won't listen to you. I'm going to make you obedient to Christ. Or does that thing grab you and drag you all around and say, come right here. Let's look at BigHooters.com. You belong to me now. Be racist. Be angry with people. Think this way. You're my slave. You'll think the way Oprah thinks because I'm in your head now. Have you ever thought about your thoughts? You better think about your thoughts because if you don't take your thoughts captive, they will take you captive. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Somebody say, go deep. I want to remind you that this is the Christian worldview as we're going through our series. I don't have time to go through all the details, but I want to put it up for you. The Christian worldview is based on an axiom, presupposition, proposition, and opinion. I can put everybody's worldview in this same pyramid of axioms, presuppositions, propositions, and opinions. An axiom is your foundation. This is where you have your first level of certainty. The Christian's first level of certainty is God and his word. Jesus said it like this, those who hear these words of mine, put them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Storms came, his house stand, his house stood. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand is like someone who hears my words but doesn't do them. The storm comes and it comes down with a crash. Can you think of any other axiom other than God and his word to put here? You know what people try to put here is reason and logic. 
But I just ask him a simple question. Where did reason and logic come from? Because reason and logic is not material, it's immaterial. Can you paint the law of non-contradiction yellow and sell it to me for $1.95, that jewel? Does anybody see the law of contradiction, non-contradiction running around here, the law of identity, the law of the excluded middle? But how many know we can identify those laws? Can I give you an example? Can I be a married bachelor? Can I draw up here a square circle? How do you know that can't be done? Logic. Where did you get that from? Did your mom give you that? Did your mom teach you on logic? How many of you were taught on logic by your mom? You started with the foundations of Platonism and all those things. No. It's inner logic. It's inner thought. It's conscious thought that produces that reason. So where did it come from? You just said your first foundation is reason. I'm asking you where it comes from. Your axiom has to explain everything. Now somebody may say, where does God come from? I say God is all-knowing, all-powerful, has always existed. Is that what you want to say about your reason and logic? Because that's what Plato said. Plato literally believed that the laws of logic were bouncing around somewhere in the immaterial world like Sesame Street words. Hello, what's your name? I'm, I'm logic. What do you do, logic? That's what Plato believed. Because that's what you have to say if you don't believe in God. Because how can you trust your reasoning? Everything you're reasoning now is with your reasoning. If you think I'm wrong, how are you going to prove me wrong? You're going to use your reasoning. So try to prove your reasoning without reasoning. Can you do it? Can anybody here prove reasoning without using reasoning? Because the first thing you're going to do is give me a reason why reasoning works. You have to start with God, otherwise you have no foundation. Now somebody may say, well, what's your God? I could just say any God I want. I could say the God of the flying spaghetti monster. Here's what the law of identity says. If the same thing is what I'm describing is what you're calling by a different name, it's still the same thing. Let me give you an example. A equals B if they're identical. If I tell you Joe is 6'1", Joe is married to Nancy, Joe has six children, Joe lives in, in Elgin, etc., and then I say person X is 6'1", is married to Athanasia, has, uh, Nancy has six children, am I describing the same person? Yes, I've only changed the names. The name does not change the identity. The qualities are the identification of that thing. A equals B if the identifications are exactly the same. If they say to you, I can just throw in any God in here, name your God. Is he all-powerful? So is mine. Is is he everywhere? So is mine. And all of those attributes point to our God. Now if they want to worship it, tell me its name, and I'll show you Jesus is over that God. Because now you just have an unknown God, and we'll learn about that in just a moment. Now my God is over that God. Your God's an idol. You've made it up. But what's your foundation? Look at your neighbor and say, what's your foundation? Now, from your foundation, you have to have your presuppositions. These are the things that you presuppose. You have to look at your foundation and have these things to make sense because if you don't have them, nothing will make sense. So let's go back to the person with reason. They say, well, reasoning is what I have as my foundation. And I go, okay, what do you think the, the world is like? Tell me some of your presuppositions. And they go, well, I believe in evolution. And I go, okay, and you believe in reason, right? Yeah, I believe in reason. Okay, what banged? You believe in a Big Bang, right? Who banged it? How many know their presupposition can't answer anything? You see, all I have to do is say God made it. Now what are they going to say back to me? Oh, you're just so fool. God made it. That's just too easy, Pastor. I saw what you did again. You just slipped it in. Okay, here's what I'm going to ask you. My presupposition is God. He's all-powerful. I now uh, My axiom is God. He's all-powerful. My presupposition is that he creates stuff. Is anything illogical about that? You've just asked me to believe in nothing, creating nothing, uh, something. You think nothing plus nothing equals something. You're illogical. Mine is perfectly illogic. Y'all don't get that. Can I go through that again? 
They say reason is their foundation. One of their presuppositions that we came from the Big Bang. I asked them what banged. They say, I don't know. I say, was it nothing? They say, well, I don't know. I say, well, Lawrence Krauss wrote a book about a universe from nothing. It's a contradiction. From nothing, nothing comes. That by, by your own definition, reason was your axiom. Reason just contradicted your presupposition. I showed them my God is my axiom. My presupposition is he created. What have I contradicted? Y'all better learn that. I'll say it 20 more times let you know I'm not playing word games with you. They use their reason to justify their reason. They then make presuppositions from that reason that are contradictory to reason. Therefore, reason fails. I make God my foundation. I make presuppositions from my God. First verse of my Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I believe it. Now let's just say they go, well, so what? I could write a book and say I did it. That's not my point. My point is, does my worldview not contradict itself? And if you say you wrote a book and your God did it, let's go God to God then. But you're not an atheist anymore. You're not an agnostic anymore. You're not being sassy anymore. See, I am demolishing your worldview in front of you. I love you, but I'm going to demolish your worldview. I got, I got some young adults keeping up with me. Some of y'all sleeping. But y'all better get this. We question their foundations. We question their presuppositions. All my next messages will be on our presuppositions, by the way. We presuppose God is triune. Why? Within the first chapter, it says God said, let us make, plural, mankind in our own image. We read through the Bible and learn the plural image of God. God said, baptize, uh, Jesus said, baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, Spirit. My God's triune. Boom. Now, once again, they can say, well, I don't believe that. Listen, it's up to you. I'm not trying to tell you I can make you believe something. That's part of your free will. I can't make you believe two plus two is four. But you chose to believe that based on evidence. I'm giving you the evidence that my worldview is the only one that answers for the world. Now, they may say, well, what about Muslim? What about all these other things? Let's go toe-to-toe. Put their things on the presuppositions. Put them head-to-head. And you'll start to see that they fall apart. God created the world. Humanity was made, uh, fell into sin after they disobeyed God. Jesus is God in the flesh. How do I know Jesus is God in the flesh? He raised from the dead. They go, man, I, I can't prove that. Uh, they say, Joe, can you prove that? And I say, man, maybe I can't prove that to you. But is it possible in my worldview that God raises his son from the dead? Have I contradicted myself? No. Have I contradicted myself? Yes or no, people? If you contradict yourself, are you right? If I say I'm a married bachelor, am I telling you the truth? If I say everything I tell you is a lie, have I told you the truth? There's a paradox. Think about that. Then from there, we make our propositions. We make our judgments. Some people say, don't judge me. Then I just ask them, did you just judge me? Because it sounds like you just judged me. Then they'll say, you know it all, Christians. You guys think you know it all. Do you think you know it all? Because it seems like you do because you just told me I'm a know-it-all. How do you know all that I believe? You see what I'm saying? They, they, they say you're a know-it-all, but then they have to be a know-it-all to say they know all that you believe. And then they say, nobody knows the truth. How do you know that? The person with the truth might be living next door to you. Do you know everything to know that nobody knows the truth? You see how they contradict themselves. They say things like, question everything, question everything. And then what do you say back to the person who says, question everything? Why? Why? My first question of everything is the question of everything. Why should I question everything? <laughs> y'all ain't getting this. I can see about five of you here, but I want to know in the back, y'all getting this. The world contradicts themselves all the time. I'll show you how Islam contradicts themselves. They say, we believe in Esau. He's a, he's, he's a Rasul. He's a prophet. 
Okay, when was Muhammad born that told us that, uh, that Jesus was just a prophet? Oh, Muhammad came around 500 A.D., okay? And what did Muhammad teach us? That Jesus wasn't God, that Jesus didn't die on the cross, and salvation is not found through faith in him, but rather towards praying towards Mecca and doing good deeds. They have the pillars of their faith. Okay, so what do we do? We go back to the Bible. We go to the Galatians, and we say, now you admit that the Bible was written 500 years before your prophet was ever around, right? Okay, and who did your prophet? get his revelation from? Angel Gabriel in a cave, right? Look at what my Bible said about him. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel, that one that is by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. People are perverting this gospel. Now watch this in verse 8. But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. There's your Muhammad right there. Verse 9, in case you didn't get it. As we have already said, no, now so I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. There's my foundation. Islam is destroyed. You have my guy on your team, but you contradict my guy who came 500 years before you get out of here with that nonsense. Love you, but I hate your false religion. Paul wrote that 70 AD, Islam, 500 years later, says a man, angel, says Muhammad goes into a cave and an angel Gabriel shows up to him. Mormonism, same thing, angel Moroni shows up in northern uh, uh, Michigan state telling him he's going to restore the gospel. All I got to do is check your script. Where did your prophet say he got a message from? If it's after Paul and it comes from an angel or something like that, he's cursed. Now, why are Christians becoming Mormons? Why are Christians becoming Muslims? To the east, my brother, to the east. I just met two African-Americans that were Muslims. Nation of Islam out there. I tried to get them on camera. They didn't want to do it. I looked at them. I said, you believe I'm a white devil, don't you? They literally believe a man named Yaqub made me as a demon upon this earth. That's why they call me a white devil. I said, you know how stupid that is? I said, we can check DNA. We have the same DNA. We are of the same race. You see, for them to believe that worldview, they have to be anti-everything of common sense. I'm not trying to, I'm, listen to me, people. The truth never competes with a lie. It never, all you got to do is just keep studying, apply yourself to truth. That's why Jesus said, seek, you shall find. Ask, you shall receive. Knock, and the door will be answered. Amen. So we make our judgments. Everybody makes judgments. You better make a judgment on who watches your children when you're gone. You better make a judgment about how you spend your money or it's all gone. So we make our propositions off the word of God. And then after that, we have opinions. This is something I want to spend some more time on. But did you know that the whole entire scientific quest is nothing but the best guess? It's a matter of opinion. It has nothing to do with certainty. Science is not based on certainty but the best guess. And so not just taking my word for it, but I want to put up this link right here from a I want to put this up from a scientist that just put it up so you guys can see it. The limitations of science, because sometimes people think, well, I can prove it with science. I can prove it with science. He actually takes the time to say the idea of proving something with science is itself a square circle. It's a contradiction because science can't prove anything. Science is a method where we disprove things. Can I give you guys an example? Come, somebody say, give me an example. What, what temperature does water boil at? Who knows what temperature? You know, uh, 200 and what? 212 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Now, let me ask you a question. How do we know it's 212 degrees Fahrenheit? We tested it, right? But how do we not know 
that it's not 211 degrees, point nine 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 eight. Why do we round up in mathematics? Because we're always making the best guess. As our instruments get bigger and greater, we go smaller and smaller and smaller. Nothing in natural science is a whole number. Pi goes on and on and on. How many know pi goes on and on? If the circumference of a circle cannot be measured, we cannot measure anything else. What we do is not have certain knowledge. We have our best guess. Now, is it good enough to get us to the moon? Is it good enough to get us to to do combustion and to do planes? Yes. But the more you dissect our numbers of natural science, the more you realize it's a best guess. I want to show it to you right now. I'm going to send you a link. Let's get Rudy back there because I want to send you a link so you could take this from a, a theoretical scientist. Science does not give us certainty. Everybody say certainty. Thank you. I want you to put this article up for me. Oh, you know what? I think I should be able to do it myself. Let me give it to, let me get, see if I can do this. Do me a favor. Put up, let me see if I can scroll here. I want to show you guys this. I'm going to spend a whole time just on science. Okay, give me a second. How many know pastor going to tell you the truth? Amen. There you go. That was not too hard. Science is not about certainty, a philosophy of physics. Why is it today that you think that scientists make these statements. And let me give you another article. Science is not about what? What is science not about? Okay, this is not Christian websites. I want to give you another one right here. Theoretical physicists. I want to give you his actual quote. Now, this is not the article. Look, look at your neighbor and just talk to him for a second because I really want to get you guys this. Talk to them. Don't just look at me real quick. There we go. Thank you. Look up right here. Look it up right here. Look at this. Thank you, guys. Check this out. What, what does the article say? Everybody read this on the count of three. One, two, three. Science is not about certainty. Science is about finding the most reliable way of thinking at the present level of knowledge. The very expression, so you don't think I'm making this up. This is an atheistic scientist. This is not a Christian. This is from the New Republic. This is by, I'll show you who we're talking about right here, Carlo Rovelio. He is a theoretical scientist. That means he studies the theories of science and how they relate. Look at what he says here. The very expression, scientifically proven, is a contradiction in terms. There's nothing that is scientifically proven. Why do you think a scientist would tell you there's nothing scientifically proven? 
Because as my water example goes, you never prove the actual temperature that water boils. All you do is make the best guess, you test it, and then that's it. So where do we get the certainty of knowledge? We get the certainty of knowledge from deductive logic, the things I've been teaching you. Where does deductive logic come from? It comes from God. Now everybody say the problem of induction. Since I'm here, I might as well teach you the problem of induction. Hume was one of the biggest atheists in the 19th century, and he wrote on the problem of induction as an atheist because he realized that atheists did not understand what they were giving up when they chose scientism, the belief of just science over a belief in God. Here is what he wrote towards the end. This is what Hume wrote. Induction is the method of science that Christians develop, by the way. Science comes from Christians. He wrote very similar to what Bertrand Russell, the famous atheist who wrote the book, Why I'm Not a Christian. Look at what Bertrand Russell said about Hume's problem of induction. He said, if Hume's problem cannot be solved and they cannot solve it, there is no intellectual difference between sanity and insanity. Why did they write that? Why is the entire article here from Stanford, Stanford Encyclopedia of, of Philosophy, why does it say right here? Let me just give you, I'm just going to read it so you don't think I'm putting words in their mouth. We generally think that observations we make are able to justify some expectations or predictions about observations we have not yet made, meaning we believe the present, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the future will be like the present as well as general claims that go beyond being observed. For example, the observation that bread of a certain appearance thus far has been nourishing seems to justify the expectation that the next similar piece of bread I eat will also be nourishing, as well as the claim that the bread of this sort is generally nourishing. Such inferences from the observed to the unobserved or to the general laws are known as inductive references. How many know science is based on this? The original problem has become known as the problem of induction. Hume talked about it. Hume asked on what grounds, this is what Hume said, I asked on what grounds we come to our beliefs about the unobserved on the basis of inductive inferences. Everybody say science. Okay, let me go back up here for you. How many know people have made science their God? Okay, what do they say? I don't believe in God because I believe in According to scientists, science is just what? Opinion, your best guess. Even the best of them. Why? Because when I made that test of water boiling at this amount, uh, at this temperature, I never knew the exact number. It's a best guess, and I don't know what it will be like that tomorrow because I don't know what tomorrow will hold. I have no proof that the laws will remain in place. All I'm doing is taking a step of faith to know that these laws will be in place. That's a matter of opinion. But how can science work? On my worldview, science works all the time because my God's a creator that made a creation. My God's a designer that designed something, and he said that these laws will be in place as long as there's heaven and earth. So as long as the world is the way it is, the world will operate the way it is. But how can you prove that with science? How can I prove the future will be like the past from science? How can I prove that tomorrow at this time water will boil at 212 degrees? Does everybody understand this is not Joe's opinion? This is not an opinion. This is a fact from scientists that the very thing you think you're proving is a contradiction. There is, here is the Bible. Let's put their Bible up here, science. This is what scientists say. There's nothing that is scientifically proven. 
The core of science is the deep awareness that we have wrong ideas, we have prejudices, we have ingrained prejudices. In our conceptual structure for grasping reality, there might be something not appropriate, something that we may have to revise to understand. So at the moment, we have a vision of reality that is effective, it's good, it's the best we've found thus far, it's the most credible we have found so far, so it's mostly correct. So 212 degrees is what? Mostly correct. Going in a plane is mostly correct. All of those things are mostly correct. Now, let me ask you something. If what I've just laid out to you is true, can I know something that's certainly correct, or am I stuck with mostly correct? I am certain you cannot have a married bachelor. I am certain you cannot have a square circle. I am certain that I cannot be the same person as you. We have different identities. I am certain that things are either true or false. There is an excluded middle. I am certain of these laws of logic that I'm using to prove my certainty. Now, where do they come from? Hey, where did they come from in the back? Shout it out. Come on, shout it out. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does the word word here mean? What does it mean? Logos. Where do we get the word logic from? I'll show you right now in the etymology of the word logic. You guys want to see where logic comes from? I'll show you right here where logic comes from. Yeah, there's a rapper up there, right? Isn't that funny? I love when I do funny things. Look at this right here, the, the, the word logic. Look at the etymology of the word. Let me put this up so everybody can see it. Latin comes after Greek. Logitos, logic. Look at where it comes from in its etymology. Wiktionary. I mean, I'm just using stuff that's free. Does everybody understand this? How many believe in logic today? How many are using logic today? Here we go. This is the word. Logic. Can you spell logic without logos? Look at the Greek word here. Look at it. Look how it looks. That's an L. That's an O. That's a G. That's an OS. Logic is based off of the logos. The logos was a Greek philosophy of the pagans. Our gospel writer John used it purposefully to show the worldview of Christians. He said, you philosophers, you look to logic as your foundation. I will tell you where logic came from. In the beginning was the logic. The logic was with God, and the logic was God. He was with God in the beginning. Nothing was made that hasn't been made by him. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then you go to verse 14, and it says, the logic became came flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Not only is Jesus called our logic, but Jesus is also called our way. There is no other way that will make sense to you in this world except Jesus. He is the truth. He is the aletheia. He doesn't just say true things. He is the truth and he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. You will not make sense of this world except by the Christian worldview. Period. Get your best. I'll meet them here on another day than Sunday and debate them in front of you. Get your best. This is the foundation of our world. And just to show, I got to be a little bit more sassy. Somebody say, show us. Show us. 
I'm going to show you right here. What's the biggest school we have in Chicago area? What's it called? Northwestern, right? You want to see Northwestern's? You want to see Northwestern's uh, founding motto? I'll go to Harvard's founding motto. People treat Christians like they're stupid. We're the reason why there's science. We're the reason why there is an educational system. We develop colleges, hospitals, universities. What is the motto? What is the motto of this school that was founded in 1851? Ho logos, ho logos, charitos, kai alithias, whatever things are true. And then it says, and as well, gospel of John, 1 John 1, 14, and the word became flesh. So they have two Greek phrases as their foundation. Harvard. You want to see what it is for Harvard? And then I have people get all upset and they go, well, that was just because all of them were Christians back then. No, they weren't. David Hume came before Harvard. They was, there were atheists back then too, but they made decisions as Christians to have Christian worldviews and they developed what we call the Ivy League colleges. Veritas, truth in the Greek, is what they've made it now politically acceptable for. But I'll show you right here what was their first martyr, what was their first charter, not martyr, but their first charter was for Christ and his church. And it was later trained to Verit changed to Veritas, which just means truth. The, the Bible, the school of the Ivy Leagues were started as Bible colleges. So you come here, listen to me, you come here and you think I'm a conspiracist, like a conspiracist. You think I'm just like making up stuff. I'm telling you your history. I'm telling you your worldview. You have traded, listen to me as I speak to you in general as a culture, because I know a lot believe here. But I'm speaking to you as a culture that has changed worldview glasses and you don't even know what you've traded. That's why you don't know what a man or a woman is anymore. That's why you don't know how to make babies anymore. That's why you're using the reproductive organ with the disposal organ. Are you listening? That's why we got our young people killing themselves. That's why we got right now gangs and violence. They don't know who they are. They've been told they're nothing but animals, so they act like animals. Who can get upset with them? I even even got to my message. This was the introduction. My message started right here. But can I give it to you in summary? We need to know how to go into the world and bring our worldview. Paul went to Athens, the heart of the pagan world, and brought his worldview. He preached to the Epicureans, the Stoics. He wasn't afraid of them. Don't be afraid of what people think about you. If you have time, please read that. But let me give this to you in closing. How can you win the war of worldviews? Well, number one, you got to know the truth, right? you got to know where you're coming from and what you believe. Paul allowed his emotions to be touched by other people's worldviews. You remember when I said I love people, but I hate what they believe? You know what I can also say at the opposite. I grieve over what people believe. It makes me sad. I was out preaching yesterday at Madison and Pulaski, and I was talking about drugs, and they were selling drugs right in front of me, and Will saw it. You can go watch it. It's live. You'll hear the guy cuss me out. He comes right in front of me, and the pose that he took, he was so proud of this pose. It's not like he just flicked me off like this. He stood right in front of me like this, like his hand was so high, boop, and he just flicked me off. I didn't really see it, so he got closer to me while I was preaching, and then he stopped in that little conversation, and he said, you believe this? And I said, yes, and then he said, F you and your Bible, just like this. Am I telling the truth? Find that video for me, please, on Facebook and put it up, please. But guess what? I don't fight with the weapons of this world. I fight with the love of God. 
I literally thought about this young man as I went home yesterday, and I was so grieved. You want to know why? I've been doing urban ministry for 20 years. Do you know how many kids like that I've seen? You know why? Everybody think about this for a minute. You know why you never see them in their 30s and 40s on those corners? They're dead or in jail. They're always 16, 17, 18, 19. I grieve for them, right? But it's no different when I go from the hood to Wicker Park and you got people with their designer clothes on, their designer purses, and they walk by and they flick me off the same way. I literally had this white girl, you can see it on my other video. She gets behind me and screams while I'm interviewing somebody else. Hail Satan! I love Satan! Didn't she do it? Didn't, I love Satan! And they, that's when I was interviewing the Asian guy. And he was funny. He was like, leave it to the white crazy people. White people always crazy. And then I stop and I look at the camera and I'm like, you are absolutely right. I preach in the hood all the time. I preach in the inner city all the time. But whenever I get around white, college-educated drunk, uh, college drunk people, they are the most rudest people I've ever met in my whole life. She had to stick her face right in hell, Satan. But you know what? I, I'm grieved. Paul went around and saw what people were believing and he was grieved. If you read the story, he then reasoned with them from Scripture. He didn't run away from them. I, I know people sometimes come to church and they're like, Pastor, you just want to debate everybody. Really, I don't. I'm, I'm not into that. But I say it sassy because it's like I want to get it in your mind. I'm not afraid to stand up for what I believe. Neither was Paul. And we shouldn't be afraid to debate and disagree. You'll know the difference when you're in a fruitless argument. The Bible says don't throw the pearls before swine. Are you going to put it up for me? I'll stop touching it. Go ahead, sir. Okay, and then know the basics about your opponent's belief. How many know that I'm pretty confident in meeting people on the streets? That's why I'm holding the microphone. Well, you know why that is? Because I've taken time to learn about people. And if you don't know, you know the best thing you do? You just ask. Sometimes I'll get a little bit ahead of myself. Like I'll meet a Muslim, and I'll be like, you believe this, 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 and this, and this, and I'm going to shoot it down. Pew, pew, pew. And they're like, hold up, dude. I don't even go to the mosque that much. I don't even really believe that. You know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes you do that with a Catholic. You love the Pope. You love this. And they're like, look, dude, I haven't been to Mass in 10 years, you know. So sometimes you just got to go slow with them, you know. You got to, okay, tell me what you believe. I don't want to paint you in a box or make a straw man out of you either. Tell me your unique beliefs. Thank you, sir. Yeah, right here. Let me put this up. Let's give it up for Tina preaching yesterday. Come on. Just go ahead and lower the volume. We definitely don't want to hear it. I don't want to put that up here. And you know what? This guy didn't know he was going to be on church in church today, but he should have thought about that before he walked up on us cussing us out. So I'm going to show you right here. I'm going to show you this guy flicking me off. Right there he is. There he is. So, so he flicks me off from back here. Let me show you where he comes from. He starts from right about here. We'll let it play out because I want you to see the whole thing. No, I definitely don't want you to hear it. So he's going to, I get his attention. I talk to him for a minute. Now he flicks me off right there. He flicks me off. And now this, this man flicking me off to me is like, I can't, I'm not sure if he's flicking me off. So I'm like, hey, man, we love you. And then he gets closer. I'm like, yeah, I think he is flicking me off. <laughs> then he's like, hey, do you really believe what you're saying? And I'm like, yeah. I believe what I'm saying. Here's TJ. TJ will talk to you about All right. So he don't want to talk. Now he's like, hey, hey, you really believe it? He's like, can I get on that mic? Because he's probably going to start cussing on the mic. I was like, no, you can't get on the mic. 
And then he's like, let me tell you what I'm going to tell you and what I think. He's, he's going to, where's he going to flick me off again? I thought he flicked me off one more time here. I, I don't want to be wrong. How many times I get, how many times I get flicked off? So there's once. There I get flicked off one time. Then he comes. Let's see. Here, where's the second time? Maybe I only got flicked off once. I don't want to lie about him and say I got flicked off twice, TJ. No, he just pointed at me. Okay. Then he, but then he cusses me out. That's what he does there. Well, good for him. Good for him. I'm glad he didn't cuss me out. I'm glad I went back and checked on it. Now let's go right back to here. Let's go back where, me, where pastors getting flicked off. Now let me ask you how many pastors you think would stand out here and get flicked off. I'm not saying I'm the only one. I'm just saying, you know, everybody, it's easy to preach behind a pristine pulpit, act like you know everything. But you see, I'm not afraid to go out to where these guys are. Let's get to where I get flicked off. Amen. Y'all clap. There we go. There's the flick off. There he is. More like this. In my mind, I thought it was like this. Good thing I checked it. Now, why do I put that up there? Because that's what they did to our Jesus. That's what they thought about our Jesus. Now, let me ask you something. That guy dies in two years ago, gets arrested. They're going to do it again. So we can't fight them with the weapons of this world. We have to change the mindset. And you know what I was thinking that brought tears to my eyes as I was driving home yesterday? Is I was thinking to myself, this guy probably never even had a dad in his life. Bring him to church. Probably never had a dad teach him to pray. And this is where I might get teary-eyed right now. As I was thinking to myself, what would it be like if that dude was in my car right now? And I just put my arm around him, and I'm like, hey, bro, I love you. I care about you. And I drove him 18 miles out of this environment to my house and showed him another world. And said, hey, man, meet my six children. Meet my neighbors. I want to show you something that's different than this block right here because he has a worldview. He put on, see, it's easy to judge, but we all got worldview glasses on. He has a worldview glasses that say he needs to die for that street right here. There is no doubt in my mind, dude, when I saw this dude and he walked up and we had those conversations, there's no doubt in my mind that the guy's a soldier. He's willing to die for what he believes in right now. No doubt in my I would not question him one bit. I would say, I bet you're ready to die for what you believe out here, aren't you? But is it worth it? And so what we have to do, my friends, is help people find the, the worth cause of living and dying for. Amen? Let's pray for him right now. Father, we pray for this young man. We ask you that you will save him, Lord, that he will come to you, that he will repent of his sins, that he'll know, God, that we love him and that we're not judging him, God, in a way that would push him away from you, Lord. We want to bring him in. We want him to find your truth and accept you and all that he does in life and to find the good life, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's end on that. Now, let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. Come on. I know I was all over the place, but how many learned something today? Amen. Will you go back home and read that story from Mars Hill? You know, will you take your time to do that? The story teaches us some more lessons as the band and altar workers come. Let me just give them to you quickly. Know your opponent's beliefs. State your propositions well. When you know what your opponent believes, you can say to them the truth and not be offensive. When he came up to me, he said, like, I don't believe in God. And then I was like, man, if I don't believe in God, how can I believe in this planet? Where did this planet come from? And I just kept preaching. 
When you get rejected, don't give up. How many know we're going back to that same corner? And how many know if we saw that same guy, we would be there and preach to him? And then we need to be ready to make new disciples. I want everybody to look up at this worldview chart in closing and ask yourself this question. What are you basing your life on today? Where are your foundations and what is your hope in? Thank you. I know that many people here, you trust me. And I love that about this church. You let me go on the internet. I, I become like a little bit of a mad scientist, start sliding, swiping things. You know, the board, it's all going crazy. But don't just take my word for it. Go back and study. What are you going to put as your foundation? I don't know anything other than God and his word. I wouldn't know myself without God and his word. Remember last week? We read, my brother, that the atheist denied that he even existed. Remember we read that? Do you know that that's why people commit suicide? They don't believe that there's really an answer to any of their problems. They give up on hope. And the world keeps teaching this, and we keep buying it. It's time that we put God as our foundation. And then after I get done with this chart, I think I'm going to go over this one more time next week. Then we're going to go over our, our presuppositions. And you have to, each one of you, make that a part of your life. You have to do that. Is God your God because he's your God, not because he was your mom's God? Do you believe that man is born sinful and that's why we sin? I had an I had a, a, a interview I was listening to the other day of a Christian pastor that's now an atheist. And you know what made him become an atheist? was 9-11. He said there was so much evil in the world and I, I didn't know how to deal with it. Man, how can you be a Christian and not understand there's evil? It's in our first chapters. Within the third chapter of the book, the whole entire world is cursed. By the sixth chapter of our book, it is so bad, he floods the entire world, only spares a few people. I don't know how you could be a true Christian and not understand the problem of evil. But you see, you know what the issue is? Is that people don't study it. They don't understand why kids get cancer. I know, I know why kids get cancer. Because Adam and Eve sinned and our DNA is messed up. I know why a hurricane hits Puerto Rico or hits New Orleans and I went down and did hurricane relief. I know why God, God said he took his blessing off this earth. I'm happy he didn't send us all to hell. I'm happy to at least be here. And if I die in a hurricane, I better know Jesus. Because shaking my fist at God ain't going to change the problem. Jesus died to fix the problem. Do you guys get that? You've got to make this your worldview. I've got to put this in my marriage with my family, with my kids, in my life. Let's pray and do it now. Father, examine our hearts. Make this worldview real to us today. As much as we understand, may we do it and apply it. Anyone here that thinks I'm a know-it-all, please do not get that impression. We will study with you. We will talk with you. We are not trying to be prideful in this. We're just telling you we know the truth. We know it, and we want you to know it too. So if you're here today and you haven't been born again, just admit you have been wrong. You have done this wrong, and Jesus died to make it right. If you're already a Christian, then ask Jesus to help you live for him. Think about it. All of our problems stem from a wrong understanding about life. Whenever I yell at my wife, it's because I got the wrong view. My wife's not my enemy. I should treat her nice. Whenever we treat people the way we don't want to be treated, right, we're putting on the wrong worldview.
pray for yourself right now before we pray for others in this place. Pray for yourself. I want the right worldview. Even as a Christian, I want to see things more clear. I want to see things more clear. Who am I to judge that young man on the streets if I myself don't check my worldview today? Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord. Look at your life, your sexuality, your job, your career, your goals, your dreams. The way you treat people, are they God's ways? And then now, lastly, before we go, let's pray for three people that we want to see impacted by a Christian worldview. We're no better than them, but we're going to give them the better way. Name their names. Please, come on, pray for your neighbors. Don't let anybody take my words out of context. I'm praying for that young man right now. I'm praying for those kids on that corner. I'm praying for my neighbors. I'm praying for Wicker Park. I'm praying for the young man I interviewed at the beginning of the service today. Jesus, save David. Save Andrew. Save Steve and Michelle. In the name of Jesus, Arnold, Will, ask the Lord to use you. Ask the Lord to use you. Maybe a lunch break. Maybe you'll invite them to your house for something to eat. Come on, pray for an opportunity. Because they're worth it, aren't they? They're worth it. We're not doing this just to look down on people. I have Muslim neighbors, friends. I'll be talking to them today at the park. I can almost guarantee you. I love my neighbors. I love them. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. Can you look up at me in closing? My next door neighbors, just until Vinny and Des moved in, were Kazakhstan Muslim refugees. And you see the markers on the floor and stuff. They had so many children. They would come over to my house and say, can we jump on your, your trampoline? They would all come in. i say, yeah, come on in. But I could tell it kind of bothered me. Like, ugh, they're going to ruin the trampoline. There's so many of them. They were taking my neighbor's ducks that are like in their garden and playing with them as toys, you know. But then God told me this. My kids are here too because I said, you better be their friends. This is what I said. I felt God tell me. He said, is not my love worth that trampoline? And I began to have my heart break. And I began to think to myself, Jesus, if just one of them would grow up to know you, I would give a thousand trampolines. So the next time they came over, I just, I, I took on a totally different attitude. I was like, come on over, jump around, break the thing. I didn't, you know, just like, whatever, I don't care. But then I waited, I waited. And then they felt comfortable and they came over. They got bored of jumping. They sat down next to me, all of them. They were moving in a crowd. And they said, what, what do you do? What's, what's going on? You know, just asking me kind of like child questions. And I go, I'm a pastor, and I get to talk about Jesus. Listen, I said, have you heard of Jesus? They had never even heard of my Jesus. 
I was about ready to let a stupid trampoline keep me from telling children the name of Jesus for the first time. I had the honor, the honor of being the first one to tell them about Jesus. And then I pointed to my shirt. I had a Chicago for Jesus cross on. And I said, Jesus died for you. You don't even know him, but he loves you. And I wish I could say there was like some big spiritual moment, but they went back to being kids and throwing stuff and breaking stuff. And I was like, cool. But it's such, it is such a lesson. We can be so busy that we don't care to talk to others. We can say, well, this person next to my house, my neighbor, they're crazy. They're not worth my time. They always cuss. They always do this. I don't want them around my kids. I get it. We got to be smart. I get it. But aren't they worth our time? Aren't they worth a few things getting broke? Aren't they worth a few getting cussed out if that's what it is? I'll put myself out on Madison and Pulaski every day if that's what it takes. I'll bring in Kazakhstan Muslim kids, refugees, to bounce on my trampoline if I get the honor of being the first one to tell them about a Savior named Jesus. Let's go out there and do it. I'm not trying to be a know-it-all here. I just know the God who knows it all and says he loves me. One more time before we go. God, use us to change the world out there. Help us to win the war of worldviews with your love. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody shout amen.